When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fan? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here with another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. We're moving in the direction of more frequent and shorter episodes here on FN Sports. So today is going to be kind of a quick snippet. We have a section that is dedicated just to gold stars and detentions, and then two short theses to follow. So without further ado, let's dive in. First gold star has to go to Clay Thompson, right? I mean, has anyone else ever been through that many leg injuries, that much devastation from the from an injury standpoint over the course of two years and made his way back to the floor for the Warriors this weekend. Now, on in all honesty, full moment of transparency, peek behind the curtain. This is being recorded before the Warriors take on the Cavaliers on Sunday night, which is slated to be Clay's debut. So if he plays really, really well, we'll go ahead and say, yay, hats off to him. And if he doesn't, I'm going to go ahead and say, honestly... Just that he's able to get on the floor and run around and be Clay Thompson is phenomenal. And in the unfortunate situation that we've jinxed him and something awful happens, I'm really, really sorry, Clay. But I'm really, really happy to watch Clay. Now, I say that as the show, people that listen to the show often know, a Rockets guy that has had his heart gutted by Clay Thompson. Everyone remembers 2019 Game 6 because of the Steph Curry shot at the end of the game. What they don't remember necessarily is that Game 6, Clay was in full effect in the first half of the game. That's the only reason that game was even close. Steph Curry did not score a point in the first half of the basketball game, but Clay Thompson was over 20 himself, and thus the Warriors stayed close. Steph Curry takes over the second half, and that game becomes that game. Had Clay Thompson not done that, Steph Curry probably doesn't get that Game 6 out. Who knows what happens in Game 7. Speaking of Game 7, everyone remembers Game 7 over 27 threes the year before, that all that kind of stuff against the Warriors. Game 6 Clay was also in full effect the game before. Everyone thinks about Game 6 Clay being a thing against the Thunder or a thing against the Cavaliers. But Game 6 Clay was in full effect the game before as well. He's gutted myself a couple of different times. Shouts to 
Warriors fans for getting their guy back. It is always more fun to see Clay play, as much fun as it is to see him on Instagram on things like boats. Second gold star is going to go to Dak Prescott. For those who missed the news over the weekend, Dak Prescott broke the single-season Cowboys passing touchdown record. Now, I know people are saying, well, there's 17 games and there's only 60. Except that, if you remember, with an injury, Dak Prescott actually only played 16 games this year, and he actually played her, her a couple games after that. So Dak Prescott's record is as true to the game as it gets. Shout out to Dak for being the face of the franchise right now as the franchise is back on an uptick. Dallas did have a... 4,000-yard passer in Dak Prescott, 1,000-yard rusher in Ezekiel Elliott, 1,000-yard receiver in CeeDee Lamb, a 10-plus sack guy in Micah Parsons, and a 10-plus interceptions guy in Trayvon Diggs. That's quite a roster. That's quite star power in Dallas and Jerry World. Shouts to the Dallas Cowboys. Here's to hoping that they can hopefully carry it forward for at least more than a round or two of the playoffs. We'll see how things go. Next gold star is going to Boogie Cousins for signing the big deal in Denver. Boogie, much like we mentioned with Klay Thompson, has been up and down with a bunch of different lower body injuries himself. It's great to see him back on the floor. He did get waived earlier in the week from Milwaukee, but it's good to see him back in Denver and him playing off of Jokic and the passing ability that is there ought to be a lot of fun. Both big men are passing the ball quite well these days, and so I'm excited to see what that very poor defensive but very fun offensive front court will be doing. Shouts to Boogie Cousins, always a good time. Speaking of guys coming back in the NBA, we've got to give a big, big old gold star to Lance Stevenson. If you missed it, Lance Stevenson is coming back to help out his old franchise on a 10-day contract amidst different COVID protocol things amongst other players. Lance had 30 points in his debut against the Brooklyn Nets, followed up a couple days later with 14 assists, setting the high for any player this season in Indiana. Mark Stein has reported that the Indiana Pacers look to keep Lance Stevenson for the rest of the year. He's playing in old school and one shoes like his first time around in the NBA. Shouts to Lance Stevenson for bringing it back and the air guitar. It's a bunch of fun. The NBA is more fun when guys like Lance are getting to be Lance. Our first detention is going to go to Joe Judge. For those who don't know, Joe Judge is the head coach of the New York football Giants. The Giants finished the season four and 13 and then last place in the NFC least I mean East this is just judges second season in New York uh, but worth pointing out that they've been abysmal in both years and while I guess the first you could blame on the big injury to Saquon Barkley it's hard to figure out how this team is supposed to be better next year looking at the roster as it stands I have to say that this attention mostly comes to Joe Judge's doorstep because of a QB sneak called on third and nine with five minutes left in the second quarter. Because here's the deal. I cannot think of a coach's call that would be more clear in punting on the situation and not trying to win games or not trying to win plays than a QB sneak. It's, they were backed up onto their own three. And I guess I understand that like you're clearing out a little bit of space to get a punt off or something like that. But at the end of the day, in the second quarter, and you're on the three, not like on the half-inch line, you need to be aiming to get first downs on third and nine. I don't think that's that crazy. Even if you hit the trend across the NFL right now, where on third and nine, you throw a six-yard crossing route and hope that he get, cuts up field for three more yards, which is its own thesis someday, potentially, I have to say that Joe Judge, you got to go for the first down there. I also give this to Joe Judge because... 
After firing Jason Garrett mid-year, Freddie Kitchens, I guess, is the interim offensive coordinator. But at the end of the day, that kind of a call has to be tied back to Joe Judge, especially if it's on an interim OC, because you can't think that an interim OC is going to punt on any forward progress at that point in the game. And for those that are listening to this and have not seen the play, like, well, what's the big deal? The quarterback Daniel Jones can run, or whatever you want to say. This was not like spread them out, run a quarterback draw, see if you can trick them kind of play. They lined up in an old inverted wishbone type look with two up backs next to Jones and one guy behind Jones and just went full wedge forward. There was not zone stepping. There was not pulling. There was not trickeration. This was full speed ahead forward for all of maybe a yard before eventually punting. Kind of like the Giants are going to punt on Joe Judge. Second detention of the week is going to go to ESPN, or at least to their Twitter guy. And for this, I think you need to make sure you go to Jasmine L. Watkins' tweet on January 5th at 7.02, P- I guess I should say 7.02 Central Time, 8.02 Eastern, because that's where this really stems from. For those who don't remember, last week, Dirk Nowitzki had his big jersey retirement ceremony, and it was a lot of fun, and a great way to honor Nowitzki. They built an interesting statue for him to go in front but seeing Nowitzki's jersey looked to the rafters was a really special moment for the franchise and frankly for the last player of a bygone era right 21 years on one team well we can talk about how the last few years might have been to his team and his own detriment 21 years on one team is nothing to smirk at that's a long long time of dedication to one team especially when theoretically somewhere between that first run that they almost got a title and that run that they did get a title it would have been easy to blow up the team and move on. One of the famous Dirk Nowitzki stories is that his wife would always cook him pregame meals. And so there's all these interesting, funny pictures that frankly show the giant change in fashion trends between when he was drafted and the time he retired over the course of that 21 years, where he is walking into the arena, the American Airlines Center here in Dallas, with a small to-go plate covered in aluminum foil, just like any other man on his way to work that took in lunch from his wife that day it's funny because it's so so like nostalgic and familial and like feel good and jasmine l Watkins tweeted out that it's hard to pick just one to blow to go plate and showed four different pictures of dirk walking into the stadium with his to go plates to which the espn account shortly thereafter tweeted out the same four photos in slightly different order with the same four plates of food, again, slightly different order, and tweeted, Dirk Nowitzki pulling up with a food plate as opposed to a to-go plate, I guess, on game day was legendary. Now, I'm not saying you can't repost and reuse other people's materials, but as a history teacher, as a person on Twitter that is frequently retweeting other people, you do need to cite your sources. There is no mention of Jasmine L. Watkins here on this at all. Worth pointing out that Jasmine L. Watkins is a great, great follow at Jasmine L. Watkins on Twitter. Half of the Ulate podcast, really fun, fun podcast. But man, that's a big swing and a miss out of the ESPN Twitter staff. You got to at least cite your sources, at least say where the idea came from. So big detention to them there. All right, this last detention strikes a particularly personal chord. So on, if you don't remember last weekend. The Houston Rockets had this big blow up at halftime where Christian Wood like didn't want to go back in the second half and Kevin Ford Jr. leaves and blah, blah, blah. And the Wilkins spend for a game and, and Houston loses that game to Philadelphia because both those guys are out. The next game is on Wednesday night and Kevin Ford Jr. comes in the game 
uh, has a very so-so game, right? Christian Wood has probably has a better game, but as the clock is expiring, Kevin Porter Jr. has a step back to the first of all, he runs a pick and roll or pick and pop, I should say, with Jalen Green, gets a switch onto Neto, does a nice little in and out, step back to his left side, left handed three pointer for the win. Balls goes through at the buzzer. I'm watching this on the Rockets broadcast, and I have to admit that the Rockets broadcast team is going nuts. It's a great time, blah, blah, blah. Shortly thereafter, I get sent an ESPN link with the Washington Wizards play-by-play to which the Washington Wizards announcer, whose name is Glenn Consor, decided to say as or as Kevin Porter Jr. is running on the court celebrating that Kevin Porter Jr., quote, pulled that trigger like his dad. Now, for those that just think that's a weird thing to say, on top of a number of different things, uh, Kevin Porter Jr.'s father was arrested uh, shortly before Kevin was born for manslaughter. And then manslaughter involving a gun. Uh, obviously, manslaughter means lack of intent, but you know that's not a great thing. The other thing to point out here is that when Kevin Porter Jr. was four, four years old being the number he chooses to wear, he wears three with the Rockets because four was taken when he showed up, but chooses to wear number four across his time with USC, Cleveland, and in high school, and so on. Kevin Porter Jr. was four years old when his dad was shot and killed in the Seattle area. And generally speaking, trigger references around Kevin Porter Jr. has had a tough upbringing and has had a rough life before the NBA are, are never great, but especially when they tie that directly to this awful moment of his life. For what it's worth, if you want to believe Glenn Consar and all this stuff, he did the next day issue a public apology or plea for an apology, I should say, because he says he's reached out to Kevin Porter for apology on Twitter, in which he says he was referencing and assumed that Kevin Porter Jr.'s father was the Kevin Porter that played for the Washington Bullets in the 70s and 80s, which does not track for a couple of different reasons. First, that Kevin Porter was not a shooter. Across the board, if you look at his shooting statistics, they're mundane even for the era at best Kevin Porter was really more of an athlete it appears and I'm not gonna act like I was alive to watch but does not come off as a sharpshooter even relative to his contemporaries and so shooting like that would not be a reference you make if you watched that guy play and two if you're a Wizards announcer and you think the starting point guard for the team coming to visit you is the son of some guy that played for your franchise you should probably Google that before the game. For instance, if I were calling play-by-play with the Rockets and I thought there was some connection between Evan Mobley and Katino Mobley, I'd go Google it. If I thought that someone was coming in that was related to Ralph Sampson, former Houston Rocket from the same time period, I'd go Google it. This is not the kind of thing that... You're admitting to the best-case scenario here, if you're Consar, is that you are bad at your job funny story here is I'm on like some different Houston Rockets Twitter back channels and so I DM one guy and we start talking in a group chat or whatever and next thing you know this guy tweets like this is messed up and then LeBron tweets the one guy and not to say like anyway LeBron retweets the one guy Bredo Bredo goes nuts on it Uh, LeBron eventually I think actually gets out the apology from Glenn Consar so shout out to Bredo for getting that done Bredo NBA is a great follow if you're a fan of all things Houston or all things South Uh, so shout out to Bredo for getting the word out on that one but man that's just if the best case scenario you're admitting to here is that you're really bad at your job that's a bad bad sign this is not the first time someone in the Washington Washington Wizards 
play-by-play has done something kind of questionable. Obviously, a year ago we had the issue where they were calling Ben Simmons the most overrated player in the league. You know, while Russell Westbrook's in there shooting free throws, don't get me started. But Concert has not been there forever. But the Wizards have had a number of different moments over the course of the last five or six years. And it's just interesting that they seem to keep happening. And it's interesting that your best defense is, I repeat, I'm bad at my job. How long do you get to be bad at your job before that job is no longer your job? All right, so we got a fun show in here today. After our gold stars and detentions, we're going to dive into two theses that, frankly, are kind of just out there for funsies. One, we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook and his turnovers, because that was a hot topic this week. And heading into the Sunday night game, we're going to talk about the idea of a tie in the NFL. So without further ado, let's get started. All right, so this thesis reads, the Russell Westbrook turnover issue is overblown. Hear that? I'm going to be honest. That gets a D. Not quite an F, but need some work to be eligible to play this season. All right, so the thesis reads that the Russell Westbrook turnover issue is overblown, and I gave that a D. Now, it's worth pointing out that thus far in the season, Westbrook has had more than five turnovers in 12 different games. He's only played in 40 games, so it's more than one every four times he's hit on the floor. He's good for more than five turnovers. Now, to his credit, in the last what is this, three weeks, he's only broken five turnovers three times. So I guess technically he's, you know, whittling that away as the season goes on and he's getting more comfortable. But here's the real thing with Russell Westbrook is these turnovers add up to being part of the problem with finding an offense that he and the team can both be successful in. I got a full year of this experience myself as a Rockets fan. I got to see, I was going to say all 82, but I guess it wasn't quite 82 games that season. It was the 2020 season shortened by COVID where they went to the bubble. But here's the deal for Russ is that he has, he is ineffective off the ball. He is not, I mean, as a back door cutter, he occasionally makes defense pay and gets great lob dunks and those kinds of things. But you need to have a lot of shooting on the floor for that to work. The way the Rockets did that and the way the Lakers have helped orchestrate that and some of their wins this season have been by going super, super small. You've seen the Lakers go to lineups with LeBron James at the center position. Houston, you'll remember, will trade it away center Clint Capella in an effort to go super, super small as well. Once you have four shooters on the floor around Russell Westbrook, he can be off the ball as a bat cutter because his shot chart turns into more of a center shot chart. And because there's no big man down in the paint, those things are easier. Remember, it's hard to play, even with zone being allowed now in the last 20 years in the NBA, it's still hard to play off ball defense from afar because you're not allowed to be in the lane for more than three seconds. And the lane is an extra foot wider on each side in the NBA, as opposed to every league any lay person would have played in. So that really is a long way away from a shooter for a guy to be standing in the lane and Russell Westbrook can cut back door and get to the lane fairly easily. If you have a big down there, it clogs that up. That's a long way to say that Russell Westbrook has to have the ball in his hands unless you're going super small. If you're going super small, you're taking on other issues, but that's not where we're at right now. If Russell Westbrook has the ball in his hand, he's going to demand a high usage rate because even when he passes the ball and runs an offense, his defender can immediately sag way, way far off. 
as improved as he is as a shooter over the course of his lifetime, Westbrook is still a career 30% three-point shooter. That means he's not. it takes him more than three shots to get a point per shot, and that is not great odds. An average defense in the NBA, in the NBA is .98 points per shot, and he's getting less than that as a three-point shooter. That means he's him shooting threes is below average offense, and you have to remember that's even with the way the defenses sag off and encourage him to shoot three-point baskets. That's really, really not great. So if he doesn't have the ball and is not currently attacking and spark, sparking the offense on his own puncturing of the defense, they've got a real problem. But when he has the ball in his hands that much, having so many tur- turnovers is also a problem because he's ineffective without the ball. And then when he has the ball, if he's turning the ball over that much that often, you've got a real problem there too because you don't want him dribbling the ball that much having such high usage rates if he's going to be also turning it over as often. It's a real double-edged sword. Unless you're going to somehow crown the achievement of the Russell Westbrook quadruple double, which he has one of in a loss to the Thunder this season where he had 20 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists, and 10 turnovers. Yikes. Unless you're going to crown that achievement somehow as the Russell Westbrook, I'm not sure that you want him on the ball. But if you're going to put him off the ball, you have to go super small. That's where the Lakers find themselves in a predicament. Yes, with Anthony Davis out, they were able to go with LeBron at the five for a stretch of games and really dominate that way. They gave up rebounding battles in exchange for being hyper-efficient on offense. LeBron played the point center role in a lot of ways. He also, is interesting, operated at the high post some, which meant that all those Russell Westbrook back cuts were off of dribble handoff type of actions with LeBron James. It was really, really interesting to watch happen. But this team's number two, their second best player is Anthony Davis, and he comes back very soon. In mid-December, Sham Sarani of The Athletic reported that he'd be out for, or be reevaluated, I should say, in four weeks. We're coming up on that four-week mark, and if they push him back in the lineup, I'm not sure that unless he's shooting at the degree and the rate he was in the bubble, I'm not sure they can actually go small with Davis on the floor because while Davis stretches the floor some, he is not the kind of knockdown three-point shooter that they need to space the floor out. Currently in their five-man lineup with LeBron at the center, the Lakers are running lineups that have Carmelo Anthony at the, quote, power forward because LeBron James is at the center. They'll have Stanley Johnson or Malik Monk or... Austin Reeves or any of these other number Wayne Ellington even played a little bit. Any of these other guys that can help space the floor and keep things wide. And then again, Russell Westbrook is technically the point guard, but also able to cut back door and become the de facto center on the shot chart in a number of different ways. He pressures the defense a lot more like a center does. And that works great when you start taking out Carmelo for Davis. When you start taking out Brad, uh, even Avery Bradley, but Malik Monk for Davis or any of these other guys. You're taking out guys that shoot 35% from three in Austin Reeves or 39.7% from three in Malik Monk or 40% from three this year, which is a lot for Avery Bradley, but even coming down to earth, can only be a couple percentage points there. Carmelo Anthony himself is shooting 39.5% from three. And while I know it's unlimited reps and theoretically he'd regress to his career mean, Davis is just shooting 17.9% from three this season. His career average is 30.4%, which is still taking off a number of percentage points from those other guys. Davis is a big, though. It shouldn't matter, except to play with Russell Westbrook off of the ball, it does. 
And then again, we just talked about it. if you put him on the ball, those turnovers all of a sudden become the guy with the high usage rate getting all of the turnovers, right? And so this really does become a problem. I'm not sure the Lakers fix it. The reason this is a D and not an F is because there are weirdly, and I don't mean to go super intangible, Bass, but there are intangible things Russell Westbrook brings. Bluntly speaking, he can take the lid off the gym at any moment with a breakaway dunk and fast break, someone that just rattles the rim and the entire, I'm about to say Staples Center, but Crypto.com, Staples Center, we're calling it Staples Center, the entire Staples Center goes berserk. That is inherently valuable, right? I don't mean to say that it's not, there are not things that Russell Westbrook does well. There are things he does very well. There are things he does that make him a Hall of Famer aside from his triple-double stat, fill, stat sheet filling type of play. He gets those stats because he is truly 100% invested and in going 100 miles an hour in all of his 36 minutes on the floor this year, right? Again, at 33 years old, with the style of play he's got and the injuries, frankly, he's had in his career, he's still playing 36 minutes per game, balls to the wall. And I think that that in itself is a net positive. It's just, can he overcome those nights, again, more than one every four nights that he's giving you, or giving, I should say, the other team the ball six or more times? I'm not sure that's a winning formula, especially when, inevitably, if a series lasts at least four games and more likely closer to seven games for the Lakers, that's happening once or twice in a playoff series, that could, in itself, lose you the series, right? If he's giving the ball to the wrong team more than six times, twice in a series, at least just on averages, that's going to hurt you big, big time. I think the Lakers are in trouble. And here's the deal. We can go back to the preseason, pre-everything NBA podcast. I really liked the Lakers. I really liked the Lakers but for the start of last playoffs. I really think I still have trust in LeBron to get things done. But this may come to, down to some GM LeBron and some maneuvering here in the next three or four weeks to figure out how to fix this because quite frankly right now this ain't a thing that's getting fixed okay parker so the thesis statement for this commercial is james harden has the best beard in sports what do you think about that thesis statement oh i give it an a you know as a houston guy we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him dallas keiko lots of big beards in the houston area what do you think about the thesis so i'm a jets fan and i absolutely love the beard that ryan fitzpatrick has so maybe i would give ryan fitzpatrick the nod over james harden but you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle, the beard struggle. They make oils, they make bombs. They even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right. So our... Final, second and final thesis for the week reads, the NFL should not allow ties even in the regular season. Well, we're recording this right before the Sunday night game, and I have to say that currently, I'm sitting very, very high on this. <laughs> I'm giving this 
an A. Let's break down why. All right, so many, many moons ago, the NFL decided that in the regular season, after a single overtime, the game would end in a tie. That rule has been upheld as overtime has been altered several times in the last two decades. But I think that we're heading towards a breaking point if the Raiders and Chargers decide to. Now, again, this is being recorded before the night game on Sunday night to end the NFL regular season. However, we're kind of reaching a prisoner's dilemma. Entering the game, the Raiders and Chargers are both in the playoffs without a loss. So theoretically, a tie is not a loss, and they could kneel the entire NFL game out. They could kneel, 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 punt, fair catch, kneel, kneel, punt, or sorry, kneel, 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 punt, fair catch, over and over and over again until they got to overtime, and then do it all over again in overtime. And here's the deal. It actually would behoove them to do that. It gets them into the playoffs. It gets both teams in. Whereas if they start playing for real and they lose, they're out of the playoffs. Now, obviously, winning you're in is a fun situation as well. And theoretically, they could both be playing for that spot. But the NFL's tie rules have allowed for this, right? If the NFL did not have a tie, you would not have teams, you don't have the Twitter sphere of sorts going around like, why don't we just kneel the ball every play? We both kneel everything. We're both in. I think there are a number of people that have pointed out that like, well, seeding is important and this and that. And what does that do to your coaching record? And if you then get bounced in the first round because you get a bad seed, what does that do for you? And I think that's all fair. I think it's worth pointing out that we would have a lot of criticisms for the teams for deciding to do that if that were the case. That's probably why this isn't a true blue A+, right? It's just an A. It's because I don't know in my heart of hearts if I could really do that. And the prisoner dilemma aspect of this is I certainly don't know if I could trust the opposing coach to do that. Now, once I saw it start happening, maybe I'd feel differently. But those first couple play calls, if I'm on defense, even if they're kneeling, I am blitzing and playing coverage and trying to get the ball back and even if I have offense and they have said they're going to do this I'm certainly going to at least run the ball and then punt and see what happens I guess I I just I see this as an NFL's problem because the NFL does allow ties and if you check the catalog and go back Shaka uh, Mr. Cummings back when he was on the show we did have a full-on debate about the best overtime rules, and he really liked the NFL's overtime because it's playing the game. It's continuing to play another quarter of football, right? My issue is is that at the end of that quarter, if it's still tied, they just call it a tie, and for this thesis, they would need to fix that. They need to have some sort of a, sh- some sort of a quick shootout. In college football, in the third overtime, so after two scoreless college overtimes, which is its own different thing, College football just goes to alternating two-point conversions, and you go back and forth, back and forth, trying to score from the three-yard line. How much fun is that? We got to see it happen this year with Auburn and Alabama. It's a ton of fun in college football to watch that happen because it's score after score after score after score, and it's just the right yardage to where you don't know if they're going to run a play-action pass. All The whole playbook is open. They could run the ball because it's just three yards. They could spread you out and go up the middle with a quarterback sneak. They could do all kinds of different things, and it truthfully is a lot of fun. It's super entertaining, and it gives you a winner, right? Now, college overtime before that is also, I'd argue, more fun. Mr. Cummings, if you remember back in the previous episode, many, many moons ago at this point, argued with me that even though it's more fun and entertaining, it's not necessarily the best way to do it, and I we can disagree on that, but that's in the catalog. Go check it out. 
I think the deal here is that the NFL has to find some way to get rid of the tie, even if you end the overtime and go to some sort of a kicking contest or some sort of a two-point conversion contest or, or whatever the case may be, because ties in the regular season before this have led us to this point. The Steelers are the ones that stand to get in with their own tie from earlier this season if one of these teams truly loses. If that tie was not eligible to happen early in the season, we wouldn't even be in this scenario, right? If that game had, if the Steelers were truly 9 and 8 or truly 10 and 7, we'd be sitting here saying, no, one of these teams has to win to get in. Instead, you're looking at 9 and 7 and 1 as a possibility for both teams, and they'd both have tiebreakers to get in over the Steelers, and that's the real issue here. And so as I see this playing out, I don't think, as we're recording a little over an hour before the game kicks off, that either team will sit back and tie. But this does bring up an issue that could happen at some point in the NFL's near future. You already have guys taking off all of Week 18, and some took off 17 and 18 because they were fine as they were seated, or they were fine in just getting into the playoffs, or whatever the case may be, and they'd rather get healthy. What better way to stay healthy in Week 18 than to kneel, 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 punt over and over and over again, and then you're in the playoffs anyway, right? You're kneel, 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 punt, you're in the game, and you're not even hitting each Even your backups are not actually hitting each other, right? You're just taking a knee. The lines don't even have to click clack. It's all over. Now, as far as solutions to this go, I think it'd be fun to watch. Again, the NFL is supposed to be about entertainment. After a scoreless overtime, instead of ending in a tie, you could do a number of things. You go to the college route, do the two-point conversion off until you have you know, someone finally scores and someone else doesn't. That's fun, I guess. It does seem cheap to be copying my only, fo- I mean, college football. I think what could be fun, because they like to stick with the long kicked extra points, would be some form of an extra point off. Either you're kicking the extra points over and over because those are things that people miss now, or you can continue to back up field goals. Like my guy kicked from the 20. Your guy kicks from the 20. They both make it. They move back 10. My guy kicks from the 30. Your guy kicks from the 30. They both make it. They back up 10. All of a sudden, the Baltimore Ravens look a lot better, right? They look more prepared for extra overtime. I also think it's worth saying that if they want to stick this hard-nosed football grr stuff, they can go to a double overtime because that's certainly what they decided, for those that don't know, in the playoffs when you cannot have ties because someone has to move on, they do just play a second 10-minute period I guess you could go that route. It does seem to be the kind of thing that would really beat up bodies in the course of the regular season. I don't know if you get the CBA to agree to that. There's a number of different options here. Frankly, you could have jump ball type contests. You could have, like, what do you want to do to get this done? But you can't keep allowing ties in the NFL because theoretically, you've now made your Sunday night game after watching a full weekend of some meh football right? The Cowboys blew out the Eagles. Uh, Jacksonville won a football game. Like the Steelers are dancing, even though it's not up to them and and so on. Like, meh. You got a weekend of meh football and you could theoretically end it with a bunch of kneels and punts. And while I don't think it will happen, I think the possibility in itself means the NFL needs to look themselves in the mirror. Friends, that was another edition of FN Sports. Do you feel like you understand the Russell Westbrook's turnover issue a little bit better? Or how about the NFL tie rules and what needs to be fixed there? Shout out to 
Our intern, Chris Sliwa, for doing all the audio editing work. You can find him at Chris underscore Sliwa7 on Twitter. Chris is going to stick with us all spring long, too, or as long as we can hold on to him. Shout out to Chris for all the help. It's really, really appreciated. If you're looking for me on Twitter, you can find my personal stuff at Painsworth512. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. It's where I post things like things I'm recording, things I'm watching on TV, other podcasts I'm on, things I've been writing. I also write about the Rockets fairly frequently, so be sure to check that out every week. I write about a couple of other different NBA things, too. I got a series coming out this week in which we'll be looking at why insert player needs to win the 2022 NBA title. We're starting out with Steph Curry. Yes, if you listen to the show a long time, that's my favorite Steph Curry. And yes, that's sarcasm. But again, that's at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you go check out the Billy Up site. We've got a number of different basketball writers that just signed on with us. Shout out to the Hoops United media crew. Several of them are coming over to write with us. And it's really, really exciting to see all the growth in the basketball department moving forward. As for this show, you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram, it is at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're building quite a following. You can find us on Twitter at F N sports too. That's F-I-N-S-P-R-T-S number two, all one word. In both social media handles and in our Facebook page, you'll be able to find a link to our merch store, link to our different sponsors, including my bookie and Yeti. Our merch store has a number of different things, including a charitable option every month. This month's charity in honor of National Mentoring Month is all donated to Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. Be sure to check out our role model t-shirts and sweatshirts online. They're really, really cool, really comfortable. I'm recording in one right now as I sit here, and I got to tell you, it's just the right warrant for this Dallas winter. Now that I say that, it's probably going to freeze this week. Let's see. Anyway, it's a great, great sweatshirt, great, great t-shirt. Make sure you check out all the good merch at FN Sports 2 on Twitter. Use the links to get to our store via Bonfire. Thank you all so much for checking out the show. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Give it a couple different those and a couple different outlets, including YouTube. You can find us on YouTube now via the Six Pack Coverage Network. So make sure you give all those good things a subscribe, a follow, a rate, and a good review. Thank you so much for doing all those things. How about the podcast? And remember, whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.